Verse 6 says, Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of my hand. You notice he says, To the Lord your God. He's being honest. You know, entreat Jehovah your God. That's literally what he said. Not my God. I could care less. But here I am serving this, you know, this molten calf. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Jeroboam's plea to the man of God was by saying, Please entreat the favor of the Lord, your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored. Under the evident judgment of God, Jeroboam had no use for golden calves or their altars. He knew that his only hope was in the Lord and in his representatives. As the subsequent chapters will show, Jeroboam didn't really repent here, or if he did, it was only for a moment. Wanting to receive something from God is not the same as repentance. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. The road in years, over 290 years in the future... Josiah would be born, and here God names him before he would even be born. Josiah was just eight years old when he became king. Can you imagine that? He's still running around in a Spider-Man outfit with a sword, you know, and, and God's like, you know, you're, you're the king of Israel. <laughs> it's okay to have the sword, but you might want to change the outfit, right? Eight years old, and when I think of this young man being called out by the Lord over almost 300 years before he was born, reminds me of another time. And Isaiah tells it to us in Isaiah chapter 44, uh, 28 through uh, chapter 45, verse 7, where God calls another man specifically by name. It's the only place in the scripture that I know of, other than arguably maybe John the Baptist and Jesus. But we're talking about a long time before these men were born, at least 150 years, God calls Cyrus, the man who would ultimately let the children of Israel leave Babylon when they went into captivity. God calls him out by name over 150 years before he was even born. An amazing prophecy. And notice at the end of verse 2, it says, And on you he shall sacrifice the priests on this altar... Josiah, by name, who hasn't even been born yet, he is going to sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And again, he, he, wouldn't, even come to, uh, he wouldn't even be born for another 290 years. It's just such an amazing thing. Uh, Josiah, just in case you're curious, he reigned from 640 B.C. to 609 B.C. 640 B.C. to 609 B.C. And this event that we were looking at, that uh, Josiah actually 
did this, and we're going to read it right now, was in 621 B.C. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 23, because we're going to look at a handful of verses here. Okay, so now what we're doing is, when we think about this, this prophecy that is being given here in this verse, in, chapter, in verse 2, it's speaking of specifically the event that we're looking at in 2 Kings chapter 23. Let's look at it. Look at the first four verses and then 15 through 20. But notice it says, Now the king, speaking of Josiah by name, again, we're fast-forwarding about 290 years approximately, the king, Josiah, sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And remember that Josiah was the reformer king. He was perhaps one of the best kings of Judah that it had ever had. He was a young man who was in there for a short period of time. He was, only, um, he was 39 years old when he died. But those 39 years, he did a lot of work. And he cleaned out all of the junk that had been happening in the temple. All the idolatrous worship. All of the high places. He cleaned it all off. And he, he killed uh, priests and, and, you know, who were leading these types of worship. So he really cleaned house, literally, and one of the most great, one of the greatest kings of Judah. He says, The king sent to them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So all this time, a a book of the law was lying in the dust somewhere in the temple, probably underneath a bunch of idols. (laughs) And they found it, and they bring it to him. And notice what happens. The king stood by the pillar, he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. Notice, with all of his heart and all of his soul, no doubt he was reading, was it Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 and 5? Uh, that's the, the verse that comes to my mind. And, and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant, and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests in this, of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, and he carried their ashes to Bethel. Notice that. He carried the ashes to Bethel. And we're going to find out why he did that, because look down at verse 15 in that same chapter. Because this, what we're reading now, is exactly what had been prophesied in the verses that we're looking at tonight. In verse 2 of 1 Kings chapter 13, this is where it ultimately finds its fulfillment. Because now, 290 years later, after it was prophesied, it says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place with which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place he broke down and he burned the high place and he crushed it to powder and he burned the wooden image to Ashtaroth, that is. And Josiah turned and he saw the tombs that were on the mountain and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and he burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed. And who is the man of God that he's talking about? The one that we're looking at tonight. This man of God who is in chapter 13 of, of 1 Kings here. It was recorded, and he looked back on it and realized, can you imagine 
at some point. He, you know, whether he was aware, uh, you know, but it doesn't really matter. But he fulfilled that prophecy, and he saw the tombs, and he sent and took the bones out of the altar, uh, or out of the tombs, and he burned them on the altar. He defiled it, and um, which the according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. And then verse 17, then he said, what gravestone is this I see? And so the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. And so they let his bones alone and the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Because remember, they were buried together. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. And he executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. And so what an amazing thing. And here we have it before us here in chapter 13 of 1 Kings, the prophecy of what was going to happen. And then 290 years later here in 2 Kings uh, 23. Verse 15 through 20, we have the fulfillment of that. And you'd think after 390 years, everybody would have forgotten about it. Generations, generations, generations go by. 390 years, folks, a long time. And yet God means what he says. He says what he means. And to whom much is given, much is required. We're going to see this as we go on. But notice back in our text tonight, back in verse 3, it says, And so this man from, Beth, uh, from, from Judah, he gave a sign the, the same day, saying, uh, which the Lord has spoken, Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. And so it came to pass, when Jeroboam heard that, that he, he cried out from the altar, and he stretched out his hand. He probably did it in anger. And you know something? The older I get, whenever I, I do something really, like, really quick, and I've got to be careful I don't do it now, you know, you do something really quick and with a lot of gust, you know, and you find out that you probably pulled a muscle, but God evidently took the sinew in his arm and just tweaked it. And this guy couldn't even bring his arm back. And God did that. This man is supposed to be representing God, but instead he's wanting to arrest the man that God did send. And God just tweaks his arm and he can't bring it in. And so... It reminds me of a proverb in Proverbs 11. The righteous is delivered from trouble and it, and it comes to the wicked instead. And Jeroboam being the wicked man in Proverbs 14 verse 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a man of wicked intentions is hated. And just think about how this man is reaching forth and he's going to put this man, uh, have him arrested and, and yet he's the one who paid the price. So the altar was split apart, just as the man of God said. And it's interesting because the miracle of the altar splitting in two, notice what it did. It was a sign. It was a miracle. And what did it do? It confirmed the word that the Lord had spoken through the prophet. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't, um, you know, God makes sure that his word does not confirm the miracle, but the miracle confirms God's word. Miracles, if you look in the Bible, they're often that way. God doesn't do a miracle just to, to entertain people. 
He usually does it as a sign after to confirm the word which was spoken. More often than not, that is, the, that is the way it is. He will say his word, and then he'll confirm it with a miracle. But it's not the other way around, because the miracle is not the important thing. The word of God is the most important thing. Wouldn't you agree? Isn't his word like a fire in your heart? Isn't his word often like a hammer, even to the unbeliever? And even though we see things seemingly getting away with right now, folks understand something, that evil does not triumph. We've read the end of the story, and it's not a story. We've read the end of the book, and the book tells me that Jesus reigns and wins, and we rule and reign with him. End of topic. I don't know about you, but that's really exciting. That's something I can get my head around. And guess what? You're not going to be on the losing team ever. You may go through a time right now where you feel like you're just washed up and that things are just useless. Ah, but there's coming a time, folks, and hang on to it. Hang on to it. Believe and understand that the word of God is going to come to pass exactly as he said it is. He's never lied to us so far. He's not in the habit of lying. He doesn't need to lie because he knows all things. I lie because I'm trying to, because I don't know all things and I'm trying to make something happen and I got to make a lie to, to make it work. But God doesn't have to lie. He can just say, you know what? In two days from now, Rob, you're going to have tacos and you're going to have a little too much guacamole on one of them. He could tell me that if he, if he so chose. That's how much he knows. He knows the intricacy of your body. He knows exactly what's going on in the cellular level of every human being. That just blows my mind. It ought to blow your mind too, but that's the wonderful God that we serve. He is, his hand is not shortened like Jeroboam's is. His hand is strong and it's powerful and it's sure and it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank and you can deposit that check today. You don't even have to wait three days for it to show up. Verse 6 says, Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of my hand. You notice he says, To the Lord your God. He's being honest. You know, entreat Jehovah your God. That's literally what he said. Not my God. I could care less. But here I am serving this, you know, this molten calf. But could you ask Jehovah your God to help me and God in his grace? If I was God, I'd say, I'm not only going to strike that hand, I'm just going to strike your legs and your other arm too. You're just going to be a quad. I'm just going to strike you right now, Jeroboam. But see, that's the way man thinks. But God is thinking, this man has an opportunity yet still. And I love the gracious, loving hand of God, even against those who are opposed to him. And that's just the mystery, isn't it? And folks, we, I, I've got to get that into my heart because uh, there are enemies that we have, that the church has. And the biggest enemy, the, really the only enemy, is Satan himself. And I need to remember that. Because until we're home, until he takes us, we, we need to be sharing his word. We need to be sharing the love of God. The gospel to people who don't know him, that are opposed to him. People that we get angry with. Those are prime candidates for the gospel. Let's never forget that. I need to remember that. I'll be honest with you. I need to remember that. So pray for my rotten <laughs> notice verse 7 the king said come home with me and refresh yourself but the man of God says hey, I, I can't even if you were to give me half of your house I wouldn't do it and, he, and so uh, 
For so it was commanded me by the Lord, saying, you shall not do this thing. You shall not eat bread or drink water, and you have to go back the same way. And you know, when you think about it, um, this man of God was really following what Paul had said to the Corinthians. In chapter 6, verse 14, what, what did Paul say to the Corinthians? And here, the, the man of God, and God is directing him to make sure that he does this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And here the man of God is representing righteousness, and Jeroboam is representing lawlessness. And what communion, Paul goes on to say, has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He would go on in that chapter and say, Come out from among them and be separate. Do not touch the unclean thing. And that's exactly what he's doing. And so far, the prophet is doing really well. And in Ephesians 5, 11, it says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So back in verse 10, he says, So he went another way and did not return by the way he came. And up to this point, this man of God is doing really well, but now the things change. <laughs> And the old prophet uh, who dwelt in Bethel, he came you know, to his sons and his sons basically told him what had happened. And, and of course they saddle his donkey, the man, the old prophet goes out to meet this man of God and he meets him. And he says, are you the man of God who came from Judah, verse 14? And he says, I am. And, and before we go further, the elephant in the room to me is, why did this old prophet remain in this area under Jeroboam's jurisdiction where sin and compromise was so prevalent? Why was he there? And why did he even want to meet this young prophet? Was he jealous concerning him? Maybe he was jealous because he was a young man and God was using him. And maybe this old prophet was feeling not only his age, but feeling like he had been washed up. And, he, and let me just suggest to you that the only reason that he might feel washed up is because he removed himself from God. He removed himself from being obedient to God. For had he been obedient to God, God wouldn't have had to send a man from Judah. He could have very well used this old brother in Bethel. So I wonder why he went after him. Could it be, you know, I wonder what this young upstart is, up, is all about. God's using him. God's doing some really great things. I want to go get, I want some of that to rub off on me. Maybe he's thinking about the glory days when God perhaps was using him. Was he jealous concerning him? Was he bitter because God didn't choose him to speak but use this other man? man? You know, God could have, but he didn't. Was it because the old man had become lazy and complacent? And folks, that's possible for any of us. And I want to encourage you, for those who are older, don't think to yourself that God can't use you. Regardless of your age, he wants and can use you. In fact, I think he really would love to use you. Because you've got something that most people who are many years younger than you, they don't have. You have such a great perspective on life. You've got natural, you've got, you got natural wisdom even. And then you have the wisdom of God on top of that. Think of the combination of that together. Not that God needs our worldly wisdom, but worldly wisdom is not bad, especially if it's under the reign of God. And to have both of those, God wants to use you. Don't ever think that you're so old that you are washed up and God can't use you. I would encourage you to get out there. You don't have to get out there like the young people because you can't walk and you can't run like they used to, but that's okay. You know what? You can do a lot of good 
in a lot of different things, doing exactly what you can do. Ask the Lord what you can do. Don't think about what you can't do. What can I do, Lord, in this season of my life? And if you're really honest and you really want to know, your hands will be filled and you will live a blessed life. Wouldn't it be better to live that way rather than to just kind of sit at home and watch TV and eat unhealthy food? Gain lots of weight and then realize that your hips and your joints are blown out and you got to go get them replaced. And then you go to the hospital and then you get COVID. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better just to live a life that God wants you to live and still be in the game regardless of your age? I want to encourage you in that. Don't ever think you're too old that God can't use you. Don't think you're too old. So now the old prophet, he had a choice about how he was going to continue. And we do too, you know. How are we going to respond um, to God's word in the days in which we live? You know, the Lord has his faithful remnant like this young man from Judah. Notice verse 15, it says, Then he said to him, the older prophet, to the younger prophet, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I can't return to you. No, I, I can't even, I'm not going to eat bread or drink water. We've already looked at this. For I've been told by the Lord not to do that. And then in verse 18, he lies to him. He says, I too am a prophet just as you are. And an angel, underline the word an angel, an angel, not even the angel, but an angel. And it wasn't even God himself. And yet God himself spoke to the young man. And now this other, supposedly older man who I'm sure the younger man is looking up to at this point and this man says an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water and he was lying to him you know isn't that interesting because wasn't God able to speak to the young man he already spoke to him right if there was a change in plans God could have given him those plans he didn't need somebody else and it wasn't even God who spoke to the older man. It was an angel that spoke to him. But notice how easy it would be for the young man to kind of feel inferior to the older prophet, thinking maybe this man knows what he's talking about. Maybe the Lord really did speak to him, and so he acquiesces. But in doing so, he disobeys God. And Satan's strategy and you know this, is to cause true men of God and preachers of the word of God to depart from biblical truth. That's, his, that's what he wants. That's what he desires. It's what he wants to do to us. So if you hear from the Lord, don't let anybody take you away from the word of God. So he went, verse 19, back with him, and he did exactly what he shouldn't be doing. And so why did he contradict his word? I believe God would have blessed the younger prophet if he had not listened to the older man, because in that culture, you would naturally look up to an older man, especially a man of God. So I can't blame the young man for perhaps looking at the age disparity and thinking, you know, this man claims to be a man of God. I, I believe him and, and maybe reverenced him because he is his elder. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings.
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.